This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. On this week's Second Story Podcast, we bring you a true story written and performed by Rebecca Kling. Rebecca performed this story with Second Story in January of 2013 at Webster's Wine Bar in Lincoln Park. The theme of the evening was New Again, Stories of Starting Over. With her story titled, You Win Some, Second Story presents Rebecca Kling. July 2009, the night before I'm scheduled to appear in court to legally change my name. As I go to bed, I make sure everything is in order. The paperwork, my directions downtown, everything. I go to bed. I try to go to sleep. Lying awake at night growing up, I wondered why everything couldn't be different. Why I couldn't wish my way into a different life, wish my way into a different body, wish my way into a different self. You see, once upon a time, I was a boy. I was, at least people saw me that way. I had a boy's name, boy's clothing, had my hair in a buzz cut every summer for years. I changed in the boy's locker room, wore suits and ties to important family occasions. But I wanted a girl's name, girl's clothing, to have my hair long and flowing, to change in the girl's locker room, to wear skirts and dresses to important family occasions. July 2009, the day of the hearing. I gather the documents I need and get dressed. Makeup, jewelry, low heels, khakis, and a scooped v-neck purple sweater. I am undeniably in girl mode. I try to stay calm as I get ready, but I have a hard time collecting myself. In my nervousness, I leave extra time to get downtown. In my nervousness, I perhaps leave a little too much extra time to get downtown. I slip into room 1214 at the Daily Center, where my hearing is scheduled for 9 a.m., slightly before 8.30. So I wait for half an hour in an empty courtroom. I twiddle my thumbs. I minutely examine my fingernails. I check my email on my cell phone. I think about the person people saw me to be growing up, about the person people see me to be today, about the person I want to be moving forward, because I'm not sure how to reconcile those differences, the different stages of my life. Do I ask my parents to take down pictures from before I transitioned? Do I want to wipe clean the slate from before 22 or 23? to cover the mirrors which reflect the parts of myself I don't always want to see, don't always want to remember. I wonder why there isn't a simple clock hanging on the wall, but individual numbers screwed directly to the drywall with hands protruding out from above the jury box. I imagine going over and changing the time so that the hearing will start sooner. At last, at 9 a.m., the judge comes in and sits down. He calls my name, and I stand up to approach the bench. Present, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. No, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. 
The judge is confirming that, yes, I want to change my name to Rebecca, and no, I'm not doing so for fraudulent or deceptive purposes, and yes, I have all the paperwork. The actual hearing takes about three minutes, during which the judge directs more sirs to me than are strictly necessary, especially given how I'm presenting myself and what I'm there to do. But figuring I should know when to pick my battles, I keep my mouth shut. In part, my anxiety that something will go wrong keeps me from speaking up. Looking back, though, it is infuriating that this authority figure who held all the cards and all the power refused to respect me enough to gender me correctly. I head down to the cashier's office to get everything certified. And finally, two months and $526 after first filing my petition for name change, I have four certified copies of a document saying I am now legally and duly recognized by the state of Illinois, Rebecca Roden Kling. Transitioning for me has been a gradual process. As much as I would have liked to rip off a mask one day and magically have my entire being transformed, life doesn't work so cleanly. Changing my name has been one step in a long journey, a journey that may never be definitively over. Still, holding those certified papers complete with the seal of the state of Illinois feels pretty damn great. A month or so prior, my roommate and I had gone bowling. Pete has known me since long before I started transitioning. He's one of the many people in my life who's had to learn to call me Rebecca. We were discussing silly bowling nicknames. The bowling name I had used in high school was a play on my old male name. And we were discussing possibilities for a new bowling nickname. As we were talking, I realized we were going out of our way to avoid saying my old male name. I finally said, it's not Voldemort. You can say my name and I will not burst into flames. (laughs) You're allowed to laugh at that, the Voldemort joke. Pete is overly apologetic and will sometimes tell a joke about trans people only to instantly retract it, saying, was that too much? Did I go too far? (laughs) It's never been too far with him because he's always laughing with me, not at me. Being trans is often absurd, surreal, hilarious, and I'm not too militant to admit it. But I make the Voldemort joke because my old name, my old gender, has been used to hurt me. Names can seem unimportant right up until someone refuses to call you what you ask to be called. Gender can seem easy right up until it's not. Likewise, the name change paperwork, as important as it is, won't do me much good if I get pulled over with my old license. So off to the DMV for a driver's license that will, for the first time in my life, truly be mine. Between filing my name change paperwork and getting it approved, I went out to a bar with friends. By early 2009, I was Rebecca in almost all aspects of my life. Certainly at work, with friends, with family, but my documentation hadn't caught up to that reality. So I was forced to hand my old license with a male name and a male photo to the bouncer at the bar. He looked at me incredulously and I said, look... I'm trying to get it changed. I promise you, I am not any happier about handing that license to you than you are at having to look at it. He let me through, 
and wasn't even rude about it, but it made me want that new license all the more. The downtown DMV is just across the street, and getting a new license is actually pretty easy. Five dollars and showing the certified documentation of name change. But when I ask about changing the gender marker, I'm told I can't do that without a note from a doctor. Once again, like when standing before the judge, I'm too nervous to protest. I feel powerless. I'm sent to the photographer. The guy taking the photo does a double take when looking at my old license, but before he can say anything, I interject, yes, I know. That's why I'm getting a new license. (laughs) The picture on the new license isn't great, but what driver's license photo is? On the whole, I'm feeling pretty good. I have four certified pieces of paper saying my name is now legally and duly recognized by the state of Illinois, Rebecca Roden-Kling, and a new driver's license to back it up. My name is actually my name. But I really want that gender marker changed. The DMV doesn't get to decide my gender. The government, some judge, doesn't get to decide my gender. I don't need a doctor to tell me something I've known for most of my life. And now, outside the DMV, with a moment to pause and think about the day, I get frustrated, annoyed, pissed off. I want a driver's license that says F. For once, I want to be able to say, I win. Something occurs to me. I've been getting mammed more and more. The number of people who do double takes when seeing me shopping in the women's section or in the women's restroom or out with girlfriends has been dropping and dropping. What if I go to another DMV and tell a little white lie? What's the worst that can happen? They say no again? I should go to work. I took the morning off to get this done, but I still need to process payroll and get everyone their paychecks. I don't have time to take the red line home from downtown and then drive to the Elston DMV and wait in line for who knows how long. But that F I want in my license isn't just me being stubborn. Well, maybe it's a little stubborn. But there are real consequences to not having documentation that matches your presentation. It's the difference between panicking when I give my license to a bouncer at a bar and simply being let in. It's the difference between being convinced that the police officer who pulled me over is going to harass and humiliate me and simply being able to say, what's the problem, officer? It's the difference between every TSA security checkpoint becoming a referendum on my gender, of being terrified that I will be caught trying to smuggle a penis through airport security... (laughs) and simply being able to make my flight on time. It's the ability to relax just a little, because it's one less thing for the world to pounce on. I don't have time to go to another DMV, to try my luck again, but I go anyway. My number at the Elston DMV is called, and I hand my license to a little old lady behind the counter, explaining that I had just gotten a typo corrected downtown, and somehow they had put M as the gender marker on my license, which doesn't make any sense. The gods of bureaucracy are smiling on me, because she looks at the license, looks at me, looks at the license, and says, well, that's not right, let's get that taken care of. (laughs) At this point, I need to suppress a grin from breaking out. She types away, humming and making me worry all over again. 
I'm convinced that the name change hasn't propagated through the system. She can see my old name. She can see my old photo. She can see my old license. She can see right through me. But she doesn't. She hands me some papers saying, take those to the cashier. They'll need to sign off on it, but they won't charge you for anything since it was our mistake. Wait, really? In 2009, I was convinced that this little old lady at the DMV was simply fooled by my brilliant ruse. But in the intervening years, I've started to question that assumption. What if she knew everything? Saw my old name, photo, license, all on her computer screen, and helped me anyway. It's easy for me to list all of the people who haven't been supportive through my transition, judges and bouncers and bosses and assholes on the street. But what if there's also an unseen population that has had my back? What if this DMV clerk knew exactly what I was trying to do, but changed the gender marker from an M to an F anyway? Back in 2009, none of that crossed my mind. I don't bother to suppress a grin and I smile my way to the cashier who sends me to get my second new license of the day. But this time I'm ready and actually smiling and subsequently handed the most perfect license that ever there was. And that's sort of how being transgender works. Every mundane detail of daily living can become a battle of bureaucracy, of patience, of keeping your cool. I've been required to justify my presence, my appearance, my very existence. But for all that fear and doubt, I find closets too confining. My life seems too deliciously absurd not to share. And sure, I pick my battles, usually. I didn't try to explain queer theory to the judge at the Daily Center. I have not had any conversations with TSA officers about the problems with a binary system of gender in the modern world. But I am trans. I was a boy. At least the world saw me that way. But I'm not anymore. And where's the fun in staying silent? That was Rebecca Kling. This story was curated by C.P. Chang, with performance direction by Liz Rice and a sound design by Nick Kawahara. It was Rebecca's first time telling with Second Story, but she's well known to Chicago audiences. Rebecca is an acclaimed performer and writer and has created a number of introspective solo performance pieces. You can find more of her work at RebeccaKling.com or at FridayThang.com slash blog. If her story gives you ideas for your own second story, we'd love to hear them. Join us in Chicago at the Underground Wonder Bar on February 23rd for People Get Ready, Stories of Transitions. Or join us at Webster's Wine Bar on March 10th and 11th for Tough Guys Talk Tough. For tickets or for more information about Second Story, visit our website at secondstory.com. That's 2ndstory.com. Second Story podcasts are brought to you in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the City Arts Program, the Arts Works Fund, and the Chicago Community Foundation. 
podcast support from Amanda Delheimer Diamond, Bobby Badrisky, The Second Story Publishing Committee, C.P. Chang, Liz Rice, Nick Kawahara, Eric Hazen, Danielle Ezel, Sherry Pentamone, and myself. I'm Ozzie Totten, and this is Second Story. Thanks for listening. <laughs>